welcome back to Understanding Childhood Cancer. I'm Dr. Jeff. Now, this is my second episode in the Clinical Trials series, and in particular today I want to talk about something called a Phase 1 Cancer Trial. A Phase 1 Trial. You should listen to the other podcast episode, the first one on clinical trials, to give you a bit of insight into what clinical trials are in general. But anyway, today it's Phase 1 trials. And in particular, first off, I have to talk about Phase 1 trials in adult patients, and then I can get to children. So a Phase 1 trial of a new cancer drug in adults is normally the study where the drug is first given to human beings. So this is the study where they first give the drug to patients and the aim of the study is to check that the drug is safe to give to human beings and to work out what is the right dose to give to patients. Now, of course, we want to see what action the drug has against the patient's cancer. But that is not the prime research question. The main questions for this type of study, a phase one study, are is the drug safe? What side effects does it have? And what is the right dose to be giving to human patients? So before we get to a phase one trial, a new cancer drug has been developed by the company usually. So a big drug company, for instance, has developed the drug over years and years and years, they've probably spent a lot of money on it. They've probably spent a billion dollars developing the drug. They've probably tried to develop about a hundred different drugs and eventually one of them gets to the point where it's uh, judged to be worthy of testing in human beings. So they will have done a whole lot of what we call preclinical research. They will have tested their drug against tumour cells in test tubes. They will have tested it in mice, for instance. Perhaps mice that have tumours and they've given the drug to the mice to see if it kills the cancer. They will have identified from all of their tests which particular sorts of cancers might be the ones to use this drug with. And then they will have gone on and done further tests in animals to check if it has any side effects in the animals. And so, for instance, they might have given the drug to a whole lot of mice or they might have given it to other animals to look for any side effects of the drug. Now, having done all of this preclinical work, if the drug looks to be safe to use and if there's evidence that the drug might be good at killing certain types of cancer, well, then they might look at conducting a phase one study. And in this situation, it'll be a first-in-human study, so the first time the drug has been given to humans. So at this point, they'll design a long and complex protocol. They'll get approval from all of the regulators, from the institutional review boards at the hospitals, from the federal regulators, from all sorts of regulatory agencies in order to proceed to a human trial. Then once the study's open, then candidate patients will be offered the opportunity to enrol in the study. So what sort of patients are offered an opportunity to go in a phase one study of a new cancer drug? Well, generally, 
Patients are only eligible to go on a phase one trial of a new cancer drug if the previous therapies that they've had for their cancer haven't worked. So generally speaking, phase one trials are reserved for those patients where there is no alternative effective therapy available. So for instance, they may have undergone the standard chemotherapy, surgery, radiotherapy, etc., for their tumour, but it hasn't worked. Perhaps the cancer went away and then relapsed, or perhaps the cancer just kept growing right through the treatment. And if there's no alternative second-line therapy to offer, well, then at that point, you might consider a clinical trial. And there may be a new drug being tested in Phase 1 studies. There may be a Phase 2 study. I'll talk about all of that. But in this situation, a patient may be eligible to go on a Phase 1 study. In addition to having a cancer that lacks an effective therapy, the patient normally has to fulfil certain other eligibility criteria. So the patient normally needs to have a fairly normal level of function of most of the important organs in the body. So, for instance, a patient who's in severe heart failure because they've had heart attacks in the past generally would not be a candidate for a phase one study. You've got to remember we're evaluating the drug to look for side effects and we want to know if there are side effects on the heart. So we need a patient who has a pretty normal heart. Likewise, patients who have severely impaired lung function or very impaired liver function these may be patients who are unable to go on to the study because it makes it impossible to evaluate the drug properly for its safety. So patients normally have to have a cancer that lacks an effective therapy and they need to have a suitable level of normal function of other organs. They need to give informed consent. They need to be willing to participate in the trial and then they may be able to be enrolled. So now the first patient can be enrolled on the phase one study. Remember, this is the first time we're giving the drug to humans. So what's the starting dose in a phase one trial? We don't know what dose to give, right? So what they do is they look at the experiments that they've done in animals with the drug. And one way they find out a starting dose is they look at the doses that they've given to mice. And they find out the dose that caused a severe side effect in 10% of the mice. And then they take one-tenth of that dose and then they use that as a starting dose in humans, adjusted up for their size, of course. So that's one-tenth of the dose that caused severe side effects in just 10% of the mice. And there's other ways of working out the starting dose if they didn't use mice. But anyway, that's all very complicated. The first few patients are treated with this starting dose of the drug. And very often in phase one studies, we've done what's called a 3 plus 3 dose escalation protocol. So what that means is the first three patients are given that dose of the drug. They're watched very closely. They get all their blood tests monitored. They get their heart function and their lung function and their kidney function and their liver function. All of these things are monitored through the first cycle or two of treatment at that dose. 
Then after three patients have been enrolled, then the study closes temporarily. All the data are gathered together. The study committee meets. They look at what side effects occurred. And then they can make a decision, well, can we now increase the dose for the next three patients? So after three patients have had the drug, and if the side effects weren't too bad, then they can enrol the next three patients at a slightly higher dose. So that's called a dose escalation. So then the same thing happens. Three patients are treated at that dose level. They get through their one or two cycles of treatment. They get everything monitored for side effects. And again, after that, the study closes, the committee meets, they make a decision, and then they can think about putting the dose up for the next three patients. And on it goes. So escalating the dose level three patients at a time, provided the side effects aren't too bad. Now, what do I mean by provided the side effects aren't too bad? Well, in the protocol, they will have defined very carefully things called dose-limiting toxicities. Dose-limiting toxicities, DLTs. So they might say that if a patient has grade 3 or 4 liver toxicity that doesn't get better within one week, we'll call that a dose-limiting toxicity. So they go through the first three patients and the next three patients, and then suppose with the next three patients, one patient has a dose-limiting toxicity. So he gets that grade 3 or 4 liver toxicity, for example, and it doesn't get better within a week. Well, then you would say, well, that patient has had a dose-limiting toxicity. Now, once you get a patient with a dose-limiting toxicity in your little group of three patients, then the normal thing is to extend that group out to a group of six patients. And then if another patient has a dose-limiting toxicity, well, then that would be two out of six patients who've had a dose-limiting toxicity. And in that situation, you might say then that that dose level has not been tolerable. So you might say that the previous dose level down was the maximum tolerated dose. And that's what we're trying to define, the maximum tolerated dose. And generally speaking, that's the dose where less than two out of six patients have a dose-limiting toxicity. So again, just to say all that again, we give three patients the starting dose, and if there's no dose-limiting toxicity, we go up a dose level. Then the next three have the treatment. And if they don't have a dose-limiting toxicity, then we go up another dose level. And then we go up another dose level. But when we get to a patient with a dose-limiting toxicity, then we might enroll some more patients. And if we see more dose-limiting toxicities, well, then you might say that the previous dose level down was the maximum tolerated dose. And in that situation, you might go back to that level and treat a few more patients just to show that in more than three patients, it really was a tolerable dose. So that's how you define the maximum tolerated dose, the MTD. And usually that dose is the dose that will be used in the next study. That'll be the phase two study. So you would normally take the maximum tolerated dose from the phase one study and use that in the phase two study. The next thing to mention during this phase one study is that we do some special blood sampling called pharmacokinetics. 
Pharmacokinetics is the study of how a drug is eliminated within the body. So if you think about taking a dose of a drug, then the level of the drug in the blood goes up and then it slowly goes down. Well, the rate at which it goes up and then the rate at which it's cleared from the body until there's none left in the bloodstream, that's called the pharmacokinetics of the drug. And it's going to be influenced by things like liver function and kidney function and all of those things. The scientists who did the preclinical work will have some notion of what level of drug in the bloodstream they think is going to be a good level for killing cancer. They might think that you need to have a concentration of 10 micrograms per litre of drug, for instance, to kill cancer. And so they'll be hoping that we can give a dose of drug that achieves that therapeutic concentration in the bloodstream. So typically patients will have a dose of the drug and then they'll have blood samples taken an hour later, two hours later, four hours later, eight hours later, you know, at various intervals and often into the next day. And then those blood samples are all bundled together and sent off to the lab uh, to measure the drug concentration and anything else they want to measure to work out how the drug is handled in a human subject. And that's all called the pharmacokinetics. And by the way, that's a lot of work conducting all of those studies, and that's why phase one trials are normally conducted in the really bigger hospitals, not in every uh, sort of local hospital. And phase one trials are a lot of work in other respects too. There's all that regulatory uh, burden to deal with, all the ethics committees and the regulators at the federal level and reporting to the drug company. And the drug companies often have very demanding requirements. They've normally got a billion-dollar asset wrapped up in this. They want to know that the research is done really very well indeed. They want everything to be perfect. You know, they ask us to cross T's and dot I's and replace full stops if we haven't put them in the right place almost. Also, the patients are monitored very closely. You know, we have to look at their heart and their lung and their liver and everything. So there's normally quite an exhaustive schedule of testing that's required. So phase one studies are a lot of work. But by the end of this adult phase one study, we've taken a starting dose in adults and we've progressively increased the dose in different groups of patients until we've worked out what is the maximum tolerated dose and what are the side effects that were seen and what were the side effects that stopped us going any higher in the dosing. So now we get a sense of, well, what are the main side effects to be thinking about and looking out for? In addition, we've got some information about whether the drug works against cancer. Now, the patients in phase one studies often have different types of cancers. They're not all selected, for instance, as, you know, a whole group of just 30 patients with cancer of the lung, for instance. They oftentimes might have different sorts of cancer. So it's hard to reach a very good conclusion about how active the drug is sometimes in a phase one study. But nonetheless, we've got some preliminary information about what was seen as far as cancers getting smaller. So when you read a phase one study report, it's all about the doses that were given, the levels that were achieved in the bloodstream, the side effects, and then the maximum tolerated dose. And then usually in the fine print, they give you the activity of the drug against the cancer. They might say that out of 24 patients, 
12 patients had tumours that got smaller, 7 had patients that got bigger, etc., etc. So the response data is reported, but it's not the primary aim of the study. And normally a phase 1 study doesn't have enough patients to really make a conclusive determination about whether the drug is effective against cancer. Normally you need to take that dose that you've worked out to a phase 2 study and that's where you can look at how active the drug is. Because remember in the phase 1 study, a lot of the early patients got a much reduced dose. So if their cancer didn't get smaller, for instance, that doesn't mean the drug doesn't work. It might be that at that dose level, the drug didn't seem to work. So no, you can't conclude much from the phase one study about the activity of the drug against the cancer. You normally need a phase two study to start to look at that. So now let's look at the situation for children and phase one studies. The great majority of the time, the first time drugs are given to human beings, they're going to be given to adult patients. It would be a rare event where there was a situation where you would just start the drug in children. So we will have had an adult phase 1 study conducted to work out the toxicities of a drug and to work out the maximum tolerated dose. And from that, they will have generated a recommended phase 2 dose for adult studies. Next, they will have gone ahead with a phase 2 study in adult patients with cancer. And so a greater body of data will have been generated about the safety of the drug in adults. Now, somewhere along the line here, people start to think about a phase one study in children. Now, there must have been something in the preclinical data, something in the test tubes that suggested, well, this drug might be of interest against children's cancers. So for some reason, people start to get interested in looking at a drug in children. So for instance, if it's a drug that's only useful for prostate carcinoma in old men and there's no reason to think it would be useful in children's tumours, well in that situation you might not bother ever doing a phase one study in children. On the other hand, if there's reason from the test tubes to think, well this drug might be useful in children, well that's when you would think about a phase one study being conducted in children. Now this is where children finally have the advantage in things. Remember how we had to start at that tiny, tiny dose in the adult phase 1 study? Remember, it was only a tenth of the dose that could make mice sick? Well, in children, we know the maximum tolerated dose in adults, and we know what the side effects are likely to be in adults. And so we don't have to start at that tiny, tiny dose. Normally, we can start at something like, say, 80% of the maximum tolerated dose from the adult studies... And that can be our starting dose in the paediatric study. So we can start at a dose that's closer to the maximum tolerated dose. And so the advantage of that is that there is less of a chance in children of having to use a very tiny dose, and so a dose that may have less of a chance of being effective. So again, we pick a starting dose in children and it might be 80% of the maximum tolerated dose from adults, and we enrol children on the study. And again, the first group are enrolled at that dose level, and we might enrol three patients at that dose level. Now, this is where things get a bit different in children. 
Remember in the children that we've already got a whole lot of data from adult studies to tell us about side effects and doses and all of that. Okay, in some paediatric phase one studies, we'll enrol three patients, then we'll stop, look at the data, and then plan to dose escalate for the next three patients. So that's just the same as the adult study. So that's how we do it in some paediatric phase one studies. But there's another system that can be used called the rolling six system. This is a complicated system to explain, but it's a system where after three patients, if we haven't seen a dose-limiting toxicity, we can enrol a fourth patient and a fifth patient while the rest of the data comes in from the first three. And so we can keep the study open and keep enrolling patients even as the data is still coming in from the first three patients. So it's a way to keep the study open. Instead of opening and closing and opening and closing, it's a way to have the study open for longer periods of time, and that's called the rolling six methodology. And then there's other systems out there. There's the CRM method and a few others to try to avoid big gaps where the study isn't open and we can't enrol patients. But otherwise, the study is run pretty much like the adult one in many respects, so we still escalate the dose in little groups and we keep on escalating the dose until we find a dose-limiting toxicity. We're still measuring the pharmacokinetics, so doing all of those blood samples and measuring the blood levels. We're documenting all of the side effects again, checking the heart, checking the liver, checking the lungs, checking the bloods, checking the everything. We've still got a drug company breathing down our neck, looking for reports, wanting updates, da-da-da-da-da. A lot of work, a lot of work. We're still doing scans. We still want to see the activity of the drug against the tumour. But again, we will probably not have enough patients to prove if the drug works one way or another. We're likely to need a phase two study to follow. But after all of that, we'll reach a point where we find that one out of three patients has a dose-limiting toxicity. And indeed, if it turns out that two out of six have a dose-limiting toxicity, well, it may be that the previous dose level, one down from that, is the one that we end up calling the maximum tolerated dose. And then that's the dose that we'll use in the phase two study to follow. So then a report will come out of the pediatric phase one study of a certain drug, and it will tell us the recommended phase two dose. It will tell us the pharmacokinetics, so the blood levels and how long it takes to clear the drug from the blood. It'll tell us the side effects that were seen, and it'll give us some preliminary information about what was seen as far as controlling the cancer. Now, you might be wondering, okay, but what happens to the patients? Right, good question. So the patients have been enrolled on the phase one study, and remember, they've been enrolled because they were in a bad situation. They had cancer, and the existing treatments that had been tried had not worked or there was no existing treatment. Some patients have a tumour where there is no existing treatment that's effective, and so they can go on to a phase one study without having prior therapy. That's only a minority. Most patients will have had some sort of treatment for their cancer or leukaemia. They might have even had a second-line treatment, but eventually the team say, well, look, we don't have anything to offer. Let's consider a phase one trial. Remember, that's the situation these patients are in generally when they start on a phase one study. 
So the patients go on to whatever dose level they are on and they make their way through the study. Generally speaking, they continue on the drug provided the tumour doesn't get worse. So provided the cancer doesn't grow or the leukaemia doesn't progress, then they can generally stay on the drug. The other proviso is that they mustn't have severe side effects. So provided the cancer doesn't get worse and the drug is manageable, generally speaking, we would stay on that drug for months and months, a year, maybe more. The question of how long the treatment should continue varies a little from study to study, but generally speaking, if the cancer stops growing, well, firstly, that's good news. Secondly, that's a reason to stay on the drug, provided the side effects aren't too bad. Now, so far, I've been talking about a phase one study of a new drug, and so a drug that's never been given to humans before, and then a drug that's not been given to children before. And so this is the study to work out the safety and the doses, etc., of this new drug, and generally speaking, it's being given as a single agent. So not giving three drugs at once, but just giving the new drug on its own in the phase one study. Now, there are other phase one studies that are dose-finding studies, which, for instance, might look at a new combination of old drugs. So we might have given certain chemotherapy drugs before, maybe we've been giving them for years, but we've never given them in a particular combination of drug A with drug B with drug C, for instance. So if you wanted to try three drugs together because you thought it was a good idea for killing cancer, maybe it looked exciting in the test tubes, well, you might conduct a phase one trial of the dose combination. You'll have some information about what the doses of each drug would be on their own, and then you could put together a combination of doses and then progressively increase the dose in patients and work out, well, what's the maximum tolerated dose of the whole combination? So there are phase one studies that aren't looking at new drugs, but are looking at old drugs in combination, or perhaps they're looking at old drugs plus a new drug in combination, that sort of thing. So that would still be called a phase one trial. And it would still look to evaluate the maximum tolerated dose of the drug. So what is the highest dose of that combination that we can use? And it would look at side effects, etc., just like the single agent phase one study. So that's phase one studies. Again, these are trials that people normally look to when they're in a pretty desperate situation. They're really trials to look at when everything else has failed or when there is no everything else as far as an effective therapy is concerned. And so phase one trials aren't for everyone. Some people want to pursue every last possibility for a treatment. There are others who don't want to go to such lengths. They're quite complicated studies. They're quite labour-intensive they're demanding on the patient and the parents coming to hospitals a lot, having a lot of tests. There are a lot of work in the hospital as well. But they are the important critical study that we need to do if we are going to advance with a new drug in treating children with cancer. So we need phase one studies to move forward with new drugs. But like I said, they're not for everyone. 
not every patient and not every parent will choose to pursue a phase one study, even if there is one available. I'll stop there. Thanks again for tuning in to Understanding Childhood Cancer. I hope this has been of some help to you. I'll get on to phase two and phase three studies later on. But for now, I'll talk to you next time. Bye now.